Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm your host. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, and I guess I should say championship Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Uh, Chris, what's going on, man? I am on cloud. What's 900 times 900? I mean, like it's 27,000. It's just, it's just been a nonstop. (laughs) Thank you. It's just been a nonstop rush for the last week ever since Carlos Santana clinched the ALCS in the LeBron James pose. It was just perfect. Yeah, that that was a really cool picture. Now that I think about it, I think it's 81,000, nine times nine. But anyway. You had to um, ruin it. You had I to ruin similar. it. It was a good moment, and you had to ruin it. Well, it just means you're even higher up than what you thought you were previously. I and I think I'm right there with you, man. Um, the it's kind of unreal what's what's going on right now um i love the indians so much i I love baseball it's my first favorite cleveland sport i am so excited that they are in the world series that they look have looked so good getting there i mean i understand who they're going up against we're going to preview all that but you know there is so much like good juju happening for the tribe right now it's it's hard not to get wrapped up in it I mean, you can compare it to 95 because that 95 team was dominant. You know, the 97 team was not expected to get to the World Series. They they were not favored against the Yankees. The Orioles were supposed to kind of redeem themselves. And then to knock off the Yankees and get revenge against Baltimore was sweet. Um, now, we won't go into the, the, the sorrows of 97, but this reminds me yeah. more, I mean, the, the last time a Cleveland baseball team was truly dominant was 95 in the postseason. Now, that 95 team was dominant in the regular season as well. This team wasn't as dominant, nearly as dominant in the regular season. But uh, this Cleveland Indians team has completely owned the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, who are not some chump teams here. You know, when we previewed the series against Toronto, I think we both were really nervous about the Blue Jays. And that really surprised me that they took care of them the way they did. Other than that game four, you know, the Indians just completely controlled the series in the four games that they won. I mean, Ryan Merritt, you have to tip your hat to the rookie who didn't shake in his boots like Jose Batista thought. And just, it's just been such a dominant run for the Cleveland Indians and yeah, I, I just think that it's really special. And like you said, um, they are, like you, my favorite of all the sports teams. My first memories are of those 95-97 World Series run. So it would mean so much more to me personally if the Indians were to bring home a championship because they're the one that I've always wanted to see win it all. Not that I'm complaining about the Cavs or the Browns or anything like that, but but this is the one I've always wanted to experience. I love them all, so I'm not going to be picky, but um, I have a special place for the Indians in my heart. Um, 538, you know, had some advanced metrics saying that uh, the Indians have faced the second best and the fourth best team in the MLB by their standards, and and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, now they're going up against the the number one team in their metrics against the Cubs, but, you know, the the Tribe's path, the, the, the opposition that they faced to get to the World Series was was great. And they they shut them down. I mean, the Blue Jays' offense scoring eight runs 
uh, behind Corey Kluber and a bullpen that you know pitched uh, I think over half of the innings uh, in the series. I mean, they they shut down what is one of the most fearsome lineups, and they did it in a fun and loose way. I think that's probably my most favorite part about it. I mean, the the weird things that have happened along the way. Trevor Bauer's pinky looking like uh, it had a parasite on it, <laughs> dripping blood. Um, you know, he injures his pinky in a drone accident in the ALCS, and the whole team's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, we, okay, I mean, we got it, and and they did, and they did it the whole time with smiles. Um, cracking jokes, playing so loosely, and just compare that with the Blue Jays, who, you know, every at bat they treated like they were trying to hit a walk off home run, and every single anytime they got on base, you saw them like pounding their chests and, and screaming and yelling. Um, and I'm not saying the Indians didn't get pumped up at other times either, but uh, they didn't get pumped up for a base hit. Uh, they did it in just a, a fun way. Like it's hard not to get wrapped up into it. Um, you know, them joking. Like I remember. Jason Kipnis chasing Francisco Lindor off the field during a play early in the Blue Jays series. I mean, they're just fun to watch and and the stories keep continuing, you know, Ryan Merritt's gutsy performance in, in the last game. I mean, where where does it end? I mean, it, it it's going to end in the series, but how, how can you think it's not going to end with a victory? Well, I, there are a couple reasons. One, Chicago's a really really good team. We will get to all that in just a minute, but but yeah, you're right. I and mean, you mentioned the competition. I think the Cleveland Indians have been more tested than the Cubs. Uh, you know, the Giants certainly have the pedigree, but this year they were kind of the second half they fell off. The Dodgers I thought were weaker than the Nationals, and when you looked at the Dodgers play, I mean, two hundred million dollars bought you that team. I think there needs to be some, you know, quality control going on in the uh, spending department because that does not look like a two hundred million dollar team to me. Outside of Kershaw, it's a bunch of guys who are just kind of good and and an offense that's not really that dominant. And I do think the Cubs starting pitching is going to face an offense in Cleveland that I don't think it's seen quite yet. I, I do think the Indians will be a much bigger test than what they faced. But I'm not going to sit here and take anything away from them. They won 100 games over the summer. Uh, you don't just waltz into 100 wins. I'm sorry. I don't care how dominant you are. If you win 100 games, that commands respect. This is certainly going to be the biggest pitching test for the Indians because I think this is the first time the Indians are facing a true ace in the postseason and the Cubs actually have two in John Lester and Jake Arrieta and not a bad 3-4 there as well so their pitching is what the Indians pitching could be if it were at full strength so I do think that's going to be a very very key matchup in this series but Bob you mentioned it I mean the fact that the Indians are back in the World Series after 19 years after going 52 years with no major professional title, they have a chance to add a second one in just a matter of four months. I mean, did you ever think that Cleveland would experience this kind of gold rush? Not this quickly. I mean, I always thought that um, there was a chance since all three of them were obviously working towards winning titles. And, you know, we talked about what if we had a Boston situation, you know, in the 2000s where all three of those teams won titles and uh, went to multiple championships uh, in each sport. Um, that would be fantastic. And we, it, it just popped up. I mean, this was completely unexpected. Uh, just two years ago, you know, LeBron wasn't even in Cleveland. 
the Indians were coming off a, a year removed from a wild card appearance, but they seem kind of stuck in, in, in 500 mode. Um, who would have thought in, in two years they could be their respective champions in the same calendar year? I think it's it's fantastic. I do want to um, just go back real quick. I, I would consider Kyle Hendricks the, the second ace over Jake Arietta just for this year. Um, Hendricks is having a much better year than Arietta. Um, and I, but that being said, Arietta is now the number three guy in in that rotation, um, which is going to be a, a lot more tough than, than what the tribe has faced it against the the Blue Jays or the Red Sox. So um, it, it's going to be a matchup a matchup for the ages. But I mean, let's just real quick recap how we got here. I mean, Andrew Miller, ALCS MVP, uh, was near unhittable. Game five, he stopped striking out people, but was just as dominant. I mean, Chris, any surprise that Andrew Miller was the MVP of the season? No, and and Bob, do you even remember what prospects we traded to get him? Because I, I don't. I didn't even research it because I didn't want to remember <laughs> because I don't really care. And the guy is worth his weight in gold over the last three months. He has been outstanding. He has been their de facto fourth starter. You know, every time Kluber's not on the mound – they go with this combination of, okay, Gussie performance through six, Andrew Miller closed the door. And and that's that's been the formula for their success is relying on Andrew Miller, Cody Allen, and these other arms out of the bullpen to bridge the gap from not having Carlos Carrasco and a starting pitcher version of Danny Salazar. We'll get to more on Salazar in a minute. Uh, it is official. He did make the World Series roster, but I don't think he will be starting um, the, the the fact of the matter is Andrew Miller, without him, I don't think the Indians uh, get to the World Series. And and I don't I never thought I'd ever say this about a reliever, but my goodness, this guy is by far the most dominant reliever I have ever seen. Yeah, and, and to do it against a, a Blue Jays lineup that is so right hand heavy. I mean, the, Andrew Miller's a left handed pitcher. Usually, you don't see a left handed reliever uh, going out there. You know, getting inserted into positions where they're going to face three four righties in a, in a row the Blue Jays had five right-handed hitters that hit over 20 home runs in the season and he, he was near untouchable I mean how, how clutch was that in game five one pitch double play to end the inning against uh was that Tulowitzki that, that hit in that double play or Donaldson I, I forget, I, I forget I, I, but, I'm pretty sure it was Donaldson but but that pitch was so key because here he comes in in the sixth inning with one out and in one pitch, he gets the final two outs of the inning. And I was watching it with, with our parents, and I said, well, that just ensures Andrew Miller's going to go two innings now. He's going to pitch the seventh and the eighth because sure. he only threw one pitch in the sixth. And, th- and that was the, the worst part of that at bat was they didn't even make him work. They didn't even make Terry Francona pay a little bit for bringing in Andrew Miller in the middle of the sixth by getting you know eight to ten pitches on him. One pitch. I mean, my goodness, he's still fresh and ready to pitch the seventh and the eighth like he probably would have anyway. So, yes, that, that I think was probably the turning point in the game right there, that one pitch. Yeah. Well, that I, I took that for granted because that's Andrew Miller. I just expected greatness from him. I There was a, a key point earlier in that game with Ryan Merritt on the mound, a runner on first, Edwin Arcanarcion up to bat. Uh, gets behind in the count three and zero and is able to work back to a full count and eventually get a ground out and inning ending double play from him. And when that happened, I was just like, there's no way the tribe is going to lose this. I mean, if Merritt was able to do that 
in that high pressure situation against the 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 Blue Jays' best power hitter. I mean, they have this in the bag. They're way in the Blue Jays' heads, um, and and it you know it just unraveled from there. They went to the bullpen. They went to Shaw. Uh, then they went to Miller, and then they went to Allen, and and, and they had it, and, and and it was as simple. You're as You're absolutely that. right. That that was a huge moment, and just for the record, it was Josh Donaldson. Uh, just did a little fact checking, um, but you're right. You're right. That was huge, and and just Ryan Merritt doesn't get enough credit for that performance. I mean, it was his second ever start, game five of a closeout to close out the ALCS. <laughs> Welcome to the big leagues, son. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, he was fantastic. And it's just another bright gem in this, what's becoming a wealth of pitching for this Cleveland Indians team that, you know, I don't want to think beyond this year, but the future is very bright. Um, But but Bob, I mean, another point here is Andrew Miller versus Dronis Chapman, those were two both on the Yankees in July and two big deadline moves for the Cubs and the Indians. Uh, certainly, I know Chapman struggled a bit in the postseason, but certainly two uh, powerhouse relievers that helped put their teams over the edge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Chapman is definitely uh, still one of the, the more intimidating closers in the game. Um, he is strictly a ninth inning closer, though. Andrew Miller, we've seen, obviously, get slotted everywhere and anywhere um in a, in a high leverage game um but yeah kind of funny that the the eight, number eight and number nine uh guys from the yankees in july are now pitching on world series teams both of them not being the yankees um the yankees got a king's ransom for both those guys and, and well deserved um uh, an, an interesting storyline for sure um all right well looking ahead so we got the Cubs versus the Indians. Um, Chris, what what are the key matchups here? What are you projecting for the rotations? Uh, well, with the Indians, it is going to come down to Corey Kluber. I, I mean, you can't lose when he's on the mound with the starting pitching situation it, the way it is. And I'm not trying to knock Josh Tomlin or Ryan Merritt or Trevor Bauer, but Corey Kluber has been the man. And... I think that that game one is going to be very key for the Indians, more so than normal because Kluber's pitching it. Uh, he's going to go up against John Lester, so it's not an easy task. But it does come down to Corey Kluber getting his two wins. And I think if Kluber can be dominant, if he can get them the two wins in the series, I would think Kluber's going to pitch one and five full rest. I don't think he's going to come back for game four because when he came back for game four last series, it was his worst game of the postseason. Now, it wasn't bad. You know, I mean, it was worse by his standards. But I would rather have two full starts of Corey Kluber and go in to get two out of those four wins you need. I feel really good about that as opposed to bringing him back for game four. Yeah, I, I think that that, again, you know, we talked about this in the ALCS, will be a little bit fluid. Um, it just kind of depends where the bullpen's at, what Bauer and Tomlin were able to do in games two and three. Um, but yeah, I, I would tend to agree and am tending to agree with you on, on this one. Um, you know, Kluber's first start on short rest. Um, he, he certainly was good. I mean, only two earned runs. How can you complain about that? But, um, with the way this team is constructed where you need your bullpen to have an off day at some point in the series, you need Kluber to go seven innings in both of his starts. 
Um, so yeah, he would be much more valuable game one and game five. But again, you know, if you're down, you know, Oh three, are you going to put the ball in Danny Salazar's hands or Ryan Merritt's hands for that game four start when you could roll out Corey Kluber who could get you five innings. So we'll have to see, but I think if things go to plan, yeah, he'll, he'll pitch game at one and five. Yeah. I don't think Danny Salazar is going to start. I do think Ryan Merritt pitched well enough in game four to give Terry the confidence to start him in game four or even game three because the other X factor is the pinky finger of Trevor Bauer. Now we're all assuming it's going to stay shut this time. He's had a long time to heal. But if that injury acts up, then that certainly throws a monkey wrench into everything. I think the ideal situation is that Bauer pitches games two and six. That way he doesn't have to bat at all and risk further irritation to that injury. But, you know, it it certainly is going to be interesting because the Indians have not revealed who their games two, three, or four starters are behind Kluber. The Cubs have it all lined up. So, obviously, the Indians are still either monitoring that injury or just keeping the Cubs guessing. I don't know which, but I would think in an ideal world, you would want to avoid Trevor Bauer putting his hands on a bat with the injury to his pinky. Yeah, obviously, that's... um a very odd X factor in the world series. Um, Trevor Bowers pinky will have to monitor that. Uh, we know Corey Kluber is game one starter after that. Like you said, it's a little bit up in the air. Um, all right. But you know, let's talk about the opposition. I mean, Chris, the Indians have already faced uh, a monster lineup in the Red Sox, uh, probably an even scarier lineup in the blue Jays, a blue Jays roster that averaged seven and a half runs in the ALDS that was limited and, eight a total of eight runs uh, in five games against the tribe now they're going up against the cubs who you know have just as many good hitters they probably are even deeper in their lineup they've got a 20 million dollar man in john lester um the nl Cy young winner and jake arietta from last year kyle hendricks has had a great year Uh, this is a stacked team and, and how does the tribe stack up against them i think they stack up just as well as they did against the red sox or the blue jays Because I honestly think, I mean, the Red Sox had a better offense. The Blue Jays had a comparable offense. The Tribe's offense is no slouch. I I, I honestly, look, man, I'm not trying to downplay the Cubs. I certainly think that they're going to be a challenge. But based on what the Indians did to two comparable lineups, I don't think there's any reason to worry about this lineup any more than they did the other two. I mean, yeah, due respect to Chris Bryant, Dexter Fowler, and all these big names in there. But, you know, the Indians lineup's top to bottom just as good. I mean, you've got two 30-plus home run masters in Santana and Napoli, which will be another X factor. One of those two is going to go to the bench in the NL Park because you lose the DH, and no, nothing silly is going to happen like either of them playing catcher or Santana playing third base. Uh, Honestly, I think Santana playing third base and moving Ramirez to the outfield is more realistic than him playing catcher. It's not going to happen. Terry's going to keep one of them on the bench and play matchup. Uh, But, you know, when you look at the Cubs, I, I don't see any more reason to worry than in the last two series. I don't think that there are any big they're, they're not a bigger challenge than the other two they're at at best the same and and I think that the Indians handled the Red Sox and Blue Jays just fine I think the Indians have the talent in the pit rotation and the bullpen to handle this offense as well yeah I, I 
I think they, they match up well, I, I as well as they, like you said, uh, matched up against the other two teams, um, both of which they were the underdog for, but turned out to, to just overwhelm their lineups. I think the Cubs won through eight and, you know, when they get to the AL with the DH one through nine are, are deeper in terms of a lineup than, than the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. They have those sluggers at the top in Bryant and Rizzo and Russell, um, but they just, they continue to, to put good hitters to the plate all the way down their lineup. Um, I think that is a little bit different, but, um, you know, they, they shut down the Red Sox, which was the the highest scoring offense in, in the league. Then they shut down the Blue Jays who, like I said, you know, were, were hot in, in the playoffs and they shut them down. So why would I expect anything different from the tribe pitchers going up, up against this deep lineup? Um, I'm not I'm not going to bet against them. I think they're going to handle them well. Um, the question is, though, against the Blue Jays, the Indians only scored 12 runs in those five games. They got to score more than that um, against the Cubs, and they're facing even better pitching uh, in, in that Cubs rotation. They have an established rotation, you know, uh, from Lester to Lackey, one through four. Those are four quality arms that they're going to throw out there. They got to score more than 12 runs. Uh, certainly, and it's going to be a lot tougher, as you said, because the Cubs were the only team in the majors to allow less than 600 runs for the year at 556. They also scored 808 runs, one of two teams to score uh, 800, them in Boston. So, you know, this is kind of the best of both worlds. You have a very deep elite pitching staff with a very dynamic offense and I'm, I'm more worried about the Boston Arms, that they can throw multiple quality starters at the Cleveland Indians. And, and I understand Jake Arrieta is struggling, but he is still has the ability to shut people down. And so I just think that that, to me, is a bigger concern than the Cubs' bats. Because I've seen the Indians handle dynamic offenses, I have not seen the Indians' offense ha- handle a dynamic rotation. The best pure pitcher they saw was David Price, who struggles in the postseason. You know, Rick Porcello, J.A. Happ, those guys, Marcus Stroman, they're, they're not on the same level as these Cubs pitchers. I- I'm sorry, they just aren't. And so I think that is going to be the, a very, very, very key matchup for the Indians. You're, you're absolutely right. They struggled against the Blue Jays pitching, which was solid, but now the Cubs pitching is the Blue Jays times two or three. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's deep and it's deep with aces. So I, I do think that is going to be a big yeah. hurdle for them to climb. Yeah, and you, the Indians can't use their greatest strength, which is their bullpen, unless the Indians have a lead. And, and we saw it in, in all uh, seven of their wins and not in their one loss. They took the lead and then handed it to the bullpen, and that was it. That was the end of the game. The, against this Cubs team, it's going to be even harder with those starters. I mean, Kyle Hendricks in the NLCS, two starts, .71 ERA, only one earned run. John Lester, two starts, two earned runs. I mean, those are two guys that are pitching at the top of their game right now. And like you said, Arietta is still a, a quality arm, and, and John Lackey knows uh, a thing or two about big moments in postseason games. So there, it's going to be a struggle. I think the Indians are able to uh, – give any pitcher a headache you know one through nine there are good bats up and down that lineup that just know how to stay within their self uh have performed well in the postseason they'll be able to do it 
but uh, this is by far the toughest matchup in in in, in their uh, postseason chase uh, of the year, as it should be. And we didn't even mention uh, the Cubs sort of roster X factor and Kyle Schwarber. Uh, certain there, there, there's reports. I mean, he tore his ACL back in April. Now they're, they're, it's reported that it's highly likely he will make the roster and be the DH for the Chicago Cubs, at least in the four games in the American League, or at least the two and, and the two if necessary. Um, Bob, I mean, how big of that? How big of a boost is Schwarber to this Cubs offense? Well, if he hits like he hit in last uh, postseason, the Indians, I, that might be the straw that broke their back. I mean, the guy absolutely mauled last year. I think he had three home runs in the postseason. Um, was by far their best hitter. So if he's able to just hit the ground running, the Indians might be in some trouble. But this is a guy coming off an ACL injury, um, has played in Arizona Fall League for a week, and that's it. Um, I don't think he's going to be big league ready, uh, certainly not postseason ready, certainly not ready to face uh, some of the the good arms that the, that the Indians have. So I'm not really worried about it, um, but – it could be a very compelling story. It could be an X factor for sure. And of course, the Indians X factor is determined. The Indians released their roster. Danny Salazar is on it. Cody Anderson is not. Um, Bob, I know Salazar has not been throwing his third pitch, the the, the breaking stuff, his curveball. Um, but but his changeup is one of the deadliest in all of baseball, and he has a good fastball. Uh, if he can just give you two good innings out of the pen in a couple of these games. I think that's a huge win for the Indians. That's a big boost, and it makes a bullpen even stronger. And even if he doesn't start, he could be a gap guy, like a five, six-inning guy to get you to that back end to close the door. So uh, hopefully Trevor, uh, excuse me, Danny Salazar is capable of providing just a couple of innings to help bridge that gap and give him another strong arm out of the pen. Yeah, it's, it's tantalizing. He could definitely be an X factor. Um, I'm concerned more about more pressing uh nagging injuries on the roster trevor bowers pinky and jason kipnis's ankle which he hurt uh celebrating uh, winning the pennant so hopefully those two guys will be on top of their game and healthy danny salazar is a nice cherry um but i'm i'm not putting a whole lot of expectations on him contributing mightily um if they get desperate they're certainly going to turn to him but hopefully they don't even need that yeah certainly I, it's hard to expect anything out of a guy who hasn't pitched since uh early september but if he is the Danny Salazar he was when he was healthy, um, even if he's only throwing those two pitches, even if he's just coming out of the bullpen, uh, that's a huge boost to an already strong team. Uh, Bob, I think we've sliced and diced this series every which way. It's money time, man. Which cursed team, which drought comes to an end in at least a week from now? Yeah, I, I'm i going with the Indians, man. I I, I can't bet against them. Uh, they've defied all odds uh, from Michael Brantley to Brian Merritt. Uh, there has been every reason to doubt them, and they've proven everybody wrong. Uh, what's one more historically great team to, to beat uh, for the Indian World World Series? I think it's going to be Tribe and Six. I actually think this is going to be an epic World Series. I think there's... I would be surprised, given the futility of both these teams, that both of them torture their fan base with a Game 7. So I'm going to pick Indians in 7. Um, I, I can't pick against my tribe at this point. It wouldn't surprise me if the Cubs did it, because I think the Cubs are a very elite team. But 
the Cavs faced a very elite team and were down 3-1 and they never gave up. I think that that's key too. Everyone is picking the Cubs. It's still Cleveland versus the world. They can still play that card that has been that sort of, if you believe in momentum X factor, it is certainly hasn't hurt the Indians over the last two series. They will be able to continue to play that card even with home field advantage, which to be fair, stop making an exhibition game decide home field in the World Series. I'm talking to you as a Cleveland fan. The Cubs should have home field advantage. They won 100 games. Give it to the best team in the season you play in. None of this exhibition game deciding it. I do feel bad for the Cubs in that regard, but I'm not going to complain about it. The rules are the rules. I think the Indians win in seven games. It's going to be an epic, epic series because you have two epic storylines with these futility streaks coming to a head. Yeah, definitely. It's a, a definitely a good storyline. Um, hey, man, the Cubs had like five dudes in the All Star game. Uh, it's on them. You know, they could have. Yeah, won but it. but there are twenty five <laughs> guys on the roster in the All Star game, and I'm, on I'm, top of that, I'm, I'm joking. They won hundred <laughs> games. Come on, real games should decide this, yeah. not an exhibition. That's all I'm saying. No, that's a, it's a valid point. Um, very good point. But I'm happy that Indians have home field because extra game at home. Tribe seems to play better at home. I like it. Um, but World Series starts Tuesday evening. Um, this sets up a date that a lot of people, uh, in Cleveland were kind of whispering about, uh, all the way back in, in July, really after the, the Cavs won their title Tuesday night in Quicken Lunds arena, the Cavs are going to raise the banner. They're going to get their rings. They're going to open the, the NBA season as, uh, the season's past champion celebrating their championship. Uh, meanwhile, just a, a few minutes later, uh, right across the plaza in progressive field, uh, the tribe is uh, starting game one of the World Series. This is an, an epic celebration in Cleveland for Cleveland sports. Chris, if you had a choice to sit in a seat of your choice in one of these two arenas on Tuesday night, where would you rather be? I mean, you can't turn down game one of the World Series. Um, I guess the logic would be there are still other chances to see the World Series. You have a game two. They're going to raise the banner and get, you know, only that night. So that is a special moment. But it's not the same as winning the title. I mean, I experienced the Cavs championship when they won it. I don't need to see them raise the banner. I would much rather be in the current championship situation than the first game of an NBA season. Because after those five minutes where the banner goes up, then it's just an NBA regular season game. And quite frankly, I would much rather watch a high intensity, high intensity world series game, one game, game, one game (laughs) with my favorite team (laughs) vying for a championship. So I think this is a pretty easy choice, even though I give kudos to the NBA and the Cavs for moving that game up 30 minutes so that way fans can watch both of them on TV. I thought that was a very nice move and a good gesture by the NBA and the Cavs to do that. Um, and because they probably figured they weren't going to get any ratings if they went head-to-head with the World Series. Yeah. But um, I would definitely go game one. Yeah. I If I had to choose one, I would definitely go to the World Series because that is happening uh, live and, and currently. It's a, it's a current sporting event, whereas... The raising the banner is very cool, but that's celebrating a past event. Um, but I mean, hey, you got a thirty-minute window. You could see the banner leave, walk across, and catch the opening pitch uh, easily uh, for, for for the World Series. So if you have about 
$6,000 of disposable income. Why not do that? <laughs> uh, Bob, it wouldn't surprise me if LeBron James and the Cavs starters just take their rings and say, you know what, we're going to let the backups handle this and walk across the street to Progressive Field and watch Game 1 of the World <laughs> Series from a loge because we know the Cavs are going to punt more than a few games this year. So it really wouldn't surprise me if that happened yeah. too. And honestly, I would just laugh so hardcore if that happened. It's There's no way it happens, but it would just be awesome if it did. Yeah, Adam Silver would uh, have a fit and would, um, you know, ha- have some medical emergency if that happened. He, he would not be happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been great seeing the Cavs be such fans of the Indians, and you know, the Indians were fans of the Cavs likewise in, in their run. So uh, that's been pretty fantastic. Um, hey, I hope in uh, Progressive Field they show the banner raising ceremony live on the jumbotron. I think that would be a really cool way to start off the game uh, in addition to the fact that Kenny Lofton and Carlos Baerga are going to throw off the uh, first pitches in the first two games. Uh, So really cool move by the Indians to get them involved. But if they showed the banner on the jumbotron, you know the fans will go nuts. And uh, I don't think they would calm down until like the first inning. And by then the game started. So they're just on like volume to 12, not even 10 or 11. They're at 12, man. It's just through the roof. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. Um, I'm sure there'll be both arenas will be showing events of uh, what's happening across the street with each other. That'll be really great if uh, you're going to either one of those or even to the to the plaza. I'm sure they'll be uh, streaming something out there for a watch party. Um, all right, well, back to the Indians and the Cubs real quick. Um, Cubs obviously a uh, dealing with the. the most famous curse right now in sports uh haven't won uh, a title since 1908 in in baseball um going on over a century of futility likewise the cleveland sports uh had a huge drought going on that obviously if you're listening to this podcast you know what i'm talking about but um you know the the drought that was broken by lebron james and the Cavs. yes it's over but the indians themselves haven't won a world series since 1948 um, that still is only one championship for three sports teams since uh, the 60s. So, Chris, I mean, who these are two very uh, historically pitiful teams going up against each other, uh, have some very sympathetic stories. Who should be garnering uh, the national sympathy more, the Cubs or the Indians? Well, right I now? didn't realize that the last time the Cubs went to the World Series was 1945, which is insane. Um, you know, I think you can answer this question in one in two ways. If you're looking at baseball specifically, it's impossible not to say the Cubs. Now, 71 years without even getting to the World Series. You know, 1908, their last championship. You know, that's 106 years. Please don't correct me if I'm wrong, Bob. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you're looking at it sport-specific, it's the Cubs. But if you're looking at it in the context of the fact that since 64, prior to June of 2016, the Indians, the Browns, and the Cavs had only been to a handful of finals, five total finals, zero championships. I mean, yeah, I know the Cubs are bad, but it's not like Michael Jordan. It's not like the Blackhawks. 
It's not like the Bears didn't bring them some love. And yeah, Cubs fans, I know some of you out there are White Sox fans too. I know some of you out there enjoyed that 2005 White Sox World Series. Even though you don't want to admit it, I know there are some who cheer for both. So so you've had the quadfecta mostly in your lifetime. I mean, some people might not remember the 86 Bears because that was when, when I was born. But the you know the rest of the teams have been pretty pretty good in my lifetime. Indians easily more sympathetic for the totality of suffering. Cubs fans, yes, in of themselves have suffered, but they have at least been able to fall back on other avenues of success. The Indians have not been able to do that at all. I think overall it's the Indians, but if you look at it baseball specific, it, you can't pick against the Cubs. I mean, those those numbers are just insane. Yeah, it's 108 years, by the way, but I had a lot of time to do that math while you were talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I told you not to correct me, Bob. You're bringing me down. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to. I mean, I can't have wrong math on, on this podcast. That's true. Um, the integrity yeah, of the for, podcast for me, is more important. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. For for me, this isn't really much of a question. Um, obviously, I'm a Cleveland kid, so I, obviously I'm going to say that Cleveland deserves more sympathy. But in my lifetime, or let's just go with your lifetime so we can include the, that Bears Super Bowl team. I mean, they've won over 10. The city of Chicago has won over 10 championships. I mean, six with Michael Jordan, uh, three with the Blackhawks in, in the past few years, throwing a White Sox and a, and a, and a Bears title as well. I mean, that's... 11. Um, so I, I don't have sympathy for, for somebody who, yeah, cheers for a bad team, uh, in, in one facet of their sports, but in, in three other areas, you, you know, you've had great teams, lots of, lots of them, and you've had lots of reasons to celebrate. Um, I get it that we are just four months removed from winning a championship, but man, that's the, that's the only one that I remember. It's the only one that my dad remembers. Uh, we we <laughs> we 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 should be able to expect and deserve a little bit more than just one in every 50 years in Cleveland. So I don't have a lot of sympathy. I understand that there are some people that they're Cubs fans and that is it. They could care less about any other sport. And in that lens, like you said, yeah, I totally get it. The Cubs have been futile for over a century. Uh, they definitely deserve a championship, but. If you're a Chicago fan, uh, there, there's it's not even a question. I mean, the Indians should be garnering some sympathy. Um, at least we have Tom Hanks in our corner. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty classy of him on SNL. Give a shout out to Cleveland. So, um, no, I mean, look, you, you look at it one of two ways, and, and I totally agree. And you know, in it, in, if you look at sports specific, it's definitely the Cubs. Not even close. Well, it is close because the Indians have been pretty bad too, but. Uh, I, I think overall the totality of suffering Cubs fans have at least had a fallback option with other sports. The Indian <laughs> Cleveland fans haven't had anything, man, until LeBron in in June. I mean, really, that 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 has been it. And and there's that was only the sixth final they had been to since '64. And the Browns have still never been to a Super Bowl. And I think it's safe to say it'll be 51 years, uh, given what happened this weekend. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like uh, just because they're playing against probably the only other more futile team in the MLB. I mean, Cleveland uh, 
isn't garnering a lot of national support for, for this World Series. And I think that um, just given everything this Indians team has been through since April, uh, I think they're totally cool with that. And they, they're kind of welcoming that. And I think they'll be able to handle that really well. It's always cooler to win it as an underdog. The Cavs coming back 3-1. You know, that was an epic way to break the curse. This would be another epic way to break the Indians' curse. Not only breaking the Indians' drought, but extending the one team that has a longer one. It says, not only did we break ours, but we broke ours in front of you, and you have an even worse one. It's kind of like a ha-ha moment. And Cleveland doesn't have many. Sorry, Cubs fans. But the reverse is true if the Cubs were to do it to the Indians. So there is going to be something a little extra special, whoever wins the World Series. Yeah, for sure. Um, it'll be a good moment for them. Obviously, I'm not going to be happy if, if the results don't go my way. But um, it's 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 definitely compelling. A lot of people are going to be watching for sure. Um, all right. Well, any last thoughts on the World Series? No, I think we covered it, man. I'm just hoping that next week we are talking about either a championship or a 3-2 lead. Yeah, that would be pretty fantastic for sure. Um, all right, well, let's do a little recap of the football over this weekend. Man, I watched a lot of it. Um, let's start with with the big one. Um, Ohio State going into Happy Valley, uh, blocked field goal, returned for a touchdown at the end of the game. Penn State upsetting Ohio State 24-21. to um, The Buckeyes' first loss of the season. They were ranked two. I think they're down to six now. Uh, Michigan is now ranked higher than them. Chris, what, what were your thoughts on this game? Or did you have a chance to watch oh, it? Oh, I had a chance to watch it all right, and uh, I was not happy. Um, look, I'm about to do something I don't like to do. I'm about to criticize an all-time great coach. Urban Meyer is – I could live a billion lifetimes and still not be the coach Urban Meyer is. But, man, why are you running a fire drill with four minutes and 30 seconds left? I mean, you had two timeouts. Your special teams had played like garbage, smothered in trash, blocked punt, a bunch of other muffs that could have left to disaster. I understand you wanted to deliberate the fourth down. Go ahead. But don't rush your kick unit out with seven seconds on the play clock and run an unnecessary fire drill. Why no time out in that situation? While it was happening live, I was shouting at the TV, call a time out. You have two. <laughs> it was. Tw- I think I could hear you it, it that was, night. Yelling. You probably did. It was 21-17. You need that field goal to go up seven. If you go up seven, you don't need two timeouts in your back pocket. Instead, your disastrous special teams have an even bigger disaster. Now you really do need those two timeouts, but I'd rather have one timeout and probably a seven-point lead than two needing that three. Now, I will say one thing. Notice how I talked about the what the Buckeyes could control first. Second down on that last drive, an egregious pass interference call was not called. Terrible no call. Guy grabbed the elbow down, got one hand on the ball, couldn't lift his other arm up to corral it. I, I cannot believe that flag wasn't called. And I am a very conservative guy. I don't like flags deciding games. But you also can't not throw a flag when it's egregious. It was a terrible no call. I get it. But the bigger issue here is not calling that timeout and running a fire drill on special teams unnecessarily. And it led sure. to the blocked touchdown. Terrible no call, but the blocked field goal was definitely the biggest play of the game. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the losses in uh, Urban Meyer's career at Ohio State are few and far between, but the two most recent ones in memory, the loss to Michigan State last year and this one, I mean, you, you put, you're putting the most the brunt and the blame on, on him for both of those games and the way he 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 coached in key moments and called certain plays because um, this Buckeyes team was definitely more talented than the, the Nittley Lions and should have should have be, beaten them. And they were they were coasting that fourth quarter. I mean, twenty two to seven. Uh, Penn State really was doing nothing on offense. I mean, they were playing well defensively, but they they had them, and the, everything just seemed to fall apart. Even before that block kick, I mean, they 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 came back to to set up that situation where you you needed that score to feel comfortable. Um, you know, heading in the fourth quarter, the Ohio State was already in a, in a very comfortable position. Um, six sacks for Penn State. That is very concerning because uh, Barrett is a great runner, um, but in the pocket, if there's pressure and you're able to get to him, I mean that that really hinders what what Ohio State is able to do. Um, I, I thought that was pretty impressive by Penn State, but uh, yeah, I don't, I, I have no idea what was going on with that field goal. Um, I, I I didn't have a chance to watch the entire game, but I definitely saw that play live and it was. Uh, picking my jaw up off the ground uh when he fell into the end zone I, I really could not believe that happened taking a step back from the game though looking at the big picture uh the fact of the matter is Ohio State if they went out and are 12 and 1 they will in all likelihood be in the college football playoff the only scenario I can see keeping the Buckeyes out of the postseason is if Alabama Clemson Washington and Baylor or West Virginia are all undefeated, which would be the other four Power Five conferences producing undefeated champions. I'm going to bet no on that happening just because it rarely happens that there are two undefeated teams, let alone four. So from this perspective, it's great because if if you're going to lose, lose early. The Buckeyes definitely did that. The margin for error is zero. But as long as they beat Nebraska, Michigan, take care of their business, win the Big Ten championship game against Nebraska or Wisconsin, that's three more quality wins. I'm sorry. Look at Louisville's schedule. It's awful in the non-conference. All due respect to the Cards who are ranked a higher, the only one-loss team ranked higher than the Buckeyes. But that Houston game, to my dismay, doesn't look as good as it did a few months ago. Houston's falling apart. So Louisville's going to have nothing in the non-conference. Texas A&M's one win in the non-conference against UCLA doesn't look that good. Heck, even Alabama's one win in the non-conference against USC doesn't look that good. So if Oklahoma is 9 or 10 wins, especially if they're 10 wins winning the Big 12, uh, Ohio State will have by far the most meat on the table they will be the best one-loss team if they went out, no question. So big picture, doesn't change anything from here on in. Yeah, I mean, you, you win and you're in. Um, you know, you, you can't, you're not going to go to the playoff with, with two losses, so that luxury is out the window in case some crazy scenario where uh, that were possible where like Michigan and Ohio State could get in uh, in that play-in game. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't change much. I think it does uh, – it, Ohio State lost I mean they were looking fantastic the entire season I think that was pretty shocking that um they 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 lost a game against Penn State uh considering they had big tent poles against Wisconsin and Michigan uh and Nebraska coming up um those were the ones that we were all circling and highlighting um but but they dropped a game against uh an an unranked team I mean a, a talented team for sure and on the road in a very hard place to play but 
Um, I think it was really surprising that that happened. And now they are uh, like the rest of the, the, the teams ranked in the top 10. They they have some flaws and they have some things to work on. I think that is the big takeaway. Well, the now. cracks started showing against Indiana when they struggled to pass the ball there. Wisconsin, people kind of overlooked it because Wisconsin's a good defense. But they struggled to pass the ball against Penn State. Now it's an alarming problem that that really needs to get corrected because Michigan is going to feast on them uh, if they keep struggling in pass protection and and, and struggling to challenge uh, defenses down the field. Uh, The other thing I will say, though, about Ohio State being a one-loss team, they are the only one-loss team in the top 10 that still controls its own destiny to get to the conference championship. Louisville and Texas A&M both need a lot of help. They need Alabama in Texas A&M case, or Clemson in Louisville's case, to lose not once but twice because of the head-to-head tiebreaker. That is a lot to ask. I can't see those two teams being threats to Ohio State when they need so much help just to get into their conference title game. If Ohio State's playing for a Big Ten championship and wins it, bye-bye. They're swept under the rug. It's just not even going to be close. Yeah, I mean, in that hypothetical for sure, I I think there's a lot of football to be played, a lot of more upsets to happen. So we will definitely have to see... um, all right, moving one day forward to uh, our, our favorite team, uh, the Cleveland Browns, uh, losing big against the Bengals. I mean, Chris, the, the results aren't surprising, but what was surprising is that Kevin Hogan was our main starter for, for the majority of that game, uh, ran for over 100 yards, but definitely looked like a guy coming off the practice squad uh, thrust into a situation he wasn't ready for. I mean, what what are you taking from this game Uh against the Bengals I'm taking that the Browns aren't going to win a game this year that's honestly what I'm taking because <laughs> I mean how, how, how are the Browns going to win a game I just want to know they've lost you know their rookie playmaker Corey Coleman you know the league is starting to catch up to Terrell Pryor they're down to Kevin Hogan as their quarterback they're claiming guys who were fifth stringers from the preseason how is this team going to win a game and look, I understand, you know, it's young, it's a process, I get it, but honestly, man, like, I, I don't see them winning a game anymore, all the optimism has left me, because this team cannot keep a quarterback healthy, and if they start 12 different quarterbacks this year, they will be 0-16. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, if they start 12 different quarterbacks, hopefully, um Kessler's concussion was wasn't that bad and hopefully McCowan is actually coming back but um yeah it's hard to find a game on the schedule where it looks absolutely winnable I don't think any of them look like a for sure win for them so um yeah they're they're heading towards 0-16 at this point um you, you touched on it though they can't keep a quarterback healthy Joe Batonio on the injured reserve Cameron Irving left that game again I mean this is an offensive line that you know, Joe Thomas is doing his thing at left tackle, but the other four guys uh, just can't consistently get on the field and can't consistently perform. And when that is happening and you want to really be a power run team first, I mean, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. And the Browns are, are a train wreck for it. And on the flip side of the ball, I mean, almost over 500 yards of offense given up by the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals have one, good option in AJ Green you knew where it was going and he just had a field day uh you you know a Hail Mary catch another one-handed bobbling catch I mean the dude was just all over the place and and everyone knew he was going to get the ball and the Browns just couldn't stop it 
And then likewise, Jeremy Hill and, G- and Giovanni Bernard just ate him up on the ground. So all in all, on all sides of the ball, just a, a very disheartening showing by the Browns. And, and yeah, uh, it's getting bleak. Seven games, six different players have taken snaps under center or in the shotgun, if you want to get technical. Five of them are true quarterbacks. I mean, Terrell Pryor was a quarterback, but he's trying to play wide receiver now. Uh, Bob, I mean, that that is just... <laughs> It's insane, even by Brown standards. I mean, we're we're not even at the halfway point, and the Browns have already gone through six different guys playing quarterback. Like I, I even if you extrapolate if you extrapolate that out, I mean, they're gonna roll out double digit guys. It's astonishing how this offensive line cannot keep a guy healthy, and I think this is a huge problem that certainly is going to be the absolute number one focus this offseason. I mean, it's got to be the offensive line. Yeah, and finding your quarterback, but um, you got to keep that quarterback healthy, whoever he is, for well, sure. Um, that is clearly the the, the, the need. I wouldn't waste the number one overall pick on a quarterback because he won't last three games with that offensive line, even if it's next year. Well, I mean, we'll talk about yeah, that when we'll it talk. comes up. I mean, you don't have to start him. <laughs> you, don't to, you can keep him healthy. You can keep him safe. Keep him safe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a rough year for the Browns, uh, like we said, but still when you come off a, a schlacking like that, it's hard to find any optimism for sure. Yeah. But there's plenty of optimism in Cleveland because the Cavs and the Indians are awesome. And I am just glad that we were going to have a seamless transition from baseball to basketball and have plenty to distract us from this disaster that is the Cleveland Browns. And it starts on Tuesday. But we'll be back next Monday with another Clee Talk podcast. Like I said earlier, hopefully it will be at least a 3-2 lead. Hopefully a world championship. But, uh, you know, my advice to everyone, just enjoy it. You know, you, you, you've had a wonderful year, whether the Indians win or lose. The drought is over, whether the Indians win or lose. Let's just enjoy the fact that this year has been amazing. Throw in the Cleveland Monsters calder cup and you know it could be three championships i know that it's a minor league team but it's still you know a pretty special year for cleveland sports and ohio state still isn't eliminated yet either i mean a lot of you know a lot of ohio state fans up here so i mean a lot a lot to be thankful for a lot to enjoy uh, regardless of what happens over the next week in the world series just enjoy the ride and try not to you know Try not to let, if it ends in disappointment, hamper what was a very fantastic year. And so I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. And we're going to talk about it next week on Clay Talk. Come back to FenleyRoadSports.com. Click on the iTunes icon and hit subscribe. Rate us highly if you feel like it. Or if you don't, still rate us highly. doesn't matter as long as you rate us highly. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports. And, of course, come back to FenleyRoadSports.com. And, yes, even though we're depressed about the Browns, we will still have a Football Fridays this Friday, previewing the upcoming matchup against the Jets. But we're going to focus right now on the Tribe. Bring it home. Come on, Cleveland. Seal the deal. See you next week. And I'm hoping we're talking about a World Series. Go Tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go, Tribe. Take it easy, Bob.